Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you, church, for that warm welcome. As Neil says, we're starting a new uh, teaching series. It's going to take us right up to Easter. Um, if you've missed any of the more series that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, I'd really, really encourage you uh, to download the talks from our website. They're really, really helpful. But we're calling this new series Journey to the Cross, and it coincides with the season of Lent. Now, I wonder how many of you regularly do something for Lent. Maybe you give something up, uh, maybe you mark it another way. Just, just a show of hands, how many of you regularly do something for Lent? Cool. Okay, whatever you do decide to do this year, if you do decide to do anything, don't do what I did. Okay, so ten, about 10 years ago, uh, this time of year, uh, people were giving up all kinds of things, things like chocolate and coffee and beer and wine and social media, all these things. And in my utter arrogance, I thought, rather than give up something that is difficult like that, I will give up something that is easy, something that I never do anyway, so that there's no personal cost to me at all. So I gave up, and I don't know why, I gave up carpet bowls. That's what I did. I gave up carpet, but you know the game where you, you roll bowls on a, on a carpet? I gave up carpet bowls for Lent. Well, here's what happened. Four weeks later, I'm sitting in my old office at work in London, and it is my lunch break, and for some reason, the guy I'm working with has brought with him a small set of bowls. This is a true story. I mean, what are the chances of that happening? And he says to me, do you want a game? And without thinking at all, I say, yeah, sure. So we go out in our lunch break on the carpet and play bowls. And halfway through the game, I look at myself and I remember and I think, what have I done? I have failed to give up carpet bowls for Lent. <laughs> this is a real low point in my life. Serves me right for being so arrogant. Well, You may be someone who gives up something for Lent. If you do do that this year, I hope it's something that's more meaningful than what I did. Maybe you don't give up anything for Lent, and that's, of course, fine too. But I want to encourage us all to do one thing this year in this lead-up to Easter, and that is this, to keep intentionally blessing the people that God has placed in our lives. You remember Bless from last term, our Bless series? That was never meant to be just a one-term thing. The idea of that is that it becomes a key part of our culture. So in our Christmas carol services, our our three meetings here and our meeting up in Hazelmere, this place was absolutely packed, full of people. Wouldn't it be great to see this place full on Easter Sunday morning, full of Christians, but also full of guests, people who are on our blessed list, people that we've invited along to that Easter Sunday morning meeting. So what if every day between now and Easter, we committed to praying for those people who are on our blessed list? We committed to eating with them, to serving them, to sharing our story with them, so that we'd see this place absolutely packed at Easter. If you don't know what the blessed series is all about, by the way, we've got pocket guides down there. Do take a look at the end of the meeting. Let's keep looking outwards towards our town in this lead up to Easter. But as we do that, let's also look inwards at ourselves. That's what this journey to the cross is all about. So over these next few weeks, we're going to look at seven prayers that address the reality of who we are. So we're calling it journey to the cross. Now, when you're going on any journey, you want to know where you're going. So this is, this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed over the next few weeks. So we're going to look at things like a prayer of confession today, a prayer of thirst, a prayer of seeking. In all honesty, this may not be a completely comfortable journey. 
we're going to look at some pretty deep stuff. Even this morning, we're going to go a bit deep. Um, and I hope that actually that you're okay with that. This is actually a really positive thing that we're able to examine ourselves. And actually, through the week, if you do that, it may take a bit of time. And if that means giving up something else to be able to examine yourself, then surely that's a really good thing. See, we're going to acknowledge on this journey to the cross that the world isn't as it should be, but also that there's hope. And by the time we finish this series, it will be Easter, and the sun will be out, and the cold and the darkness will be a thing of the past. Okay, so we're starting today with this prayer of confession, prayer of confession. I'm going to read from Psalm 32. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that now. Um, If not, that's absolutely fine. It's going to come on the screen behind me so you can follow it there. So it's Psalm 32. Now, if you're reading in your Bible, you'll notice at the top of this psalm, there's a description that says that this psalm is a maskil of David. And the word maskil is often associated with a teaching that makes a person wise. In other words, there's wisdom here for our lives today if we're prepared to be open, if we're prepared to reflect. See, David, who wrote this psalm, was uh, a man who was known as a man after God's own heart. And we're going to look at why in a minute. But let's look at this psalm. Psalm 32. David writes this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this series and this lead up to Easter. I thank you that actually while it's an opportunity to to look outward to our town, actually it's a chance again to look inwards at ourselves and I ask that you'd help us to do that. Holy Spirit, help us to do that even this morning. Where there's stuff there where we're not living for you, Lord, would you show us? Bring it to the light, Lord God, we pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're for us. And I pray that even this morning, Lord, you'd lead us towards you. Lord, make us more like you, we pray. Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the best-selling song of 2014 was the song Happy by Pharrell Williams. Some of you know it? 
If you know it, it might be in your head now. It might be in your head till Tuesday. Uh, if you don't know it, then me singing it is not going to help you. So I'm not going to do that. But it was a hugely successful song. Now in 2014 alone, it sold 6.45 million copies in the US and 1.5 million copies in the UK. And it's since become the UK's most downloaded song of all time. Now why is it so popular, that song? I think because it's very, very catchy and because it's happy. And it makes you happy. It makes you feel happy when you hear it. And who doesn't want to be happy? Now David, right at the opening of this psalm, Psalm 32, is talking about what it means to be truly happy. He starts, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Now if I was to go around the room today and and compile a happiness list, a list of all the things that make us happy, I think we'd end up with a very large and varied list. You might be able to think already of the sorts of things you'd put on that happiness list. Maybe you think of things like food, or family, or friends, or holidays, or the beach. Maybe a a certain hobby that you love doing. Some of these things may be very, very personal to you. But what David is saying is that beneath all these personal preferences, there's one way for all of us to be truly happy, to be blessed. And it's this, to have our sins covered. To have our sins covered. That's a very, very different definition of happiness. So we're going to look at what David says today. And I want to take us through three very simple steps. Three steps to happiness, if you like. And the first step is this. It's to acknowledge that we all need cover. We all need cover. Let me explain what I mean. We live in a time, perhaps more than at any other time in human history, where people no longer really believe in an absolute right or wrong. So I might believe in in the things I think are right and the things I think are wrong, but other people will think different things are right and different things are wrong. And what we must never do is, is tell someone else how to live because that's seen as judgmental and intolerant. At the same time, and I believe this is true of all of us, we all live with a sense that something is wrong. Something is wrong. And we all experience shame and we all experience guilt. And the Bible says that the root of this is sin. Is sin. Now outside of this kind of context and this kind of environment, no one really uses the word sin. It's seen as a very old-fashioned word. If it's used, it's used in a kind of comedy way. It's used in a kind of laughable way. No one uses it in a serious way. So if you're having a conversation with someone on your blessed list or someone from your school or university or someone who hasn't grown up in church and isn't isn't part of a church now, this kind of word is seen as very, very old-fashioned. So what does sin actually mean? Well, let's look at the, the passage again. Can we can just get the passage up on the screen again. That'd be really helpful. Thank you. Just the, first, just the first part. Thank you. So in this opening two verses of this psalm, David uses three different Hebrew words for sin, which together build quite a comprehensive picture of what sin is. So in the first part of the first verse, he uses the word transgressions. And it means a, a rebellion. A rebellion. And in the second part of that that verse, you get a different Hebrew word, and it's there as sins, which means turning away from the path. And then in verse 2, now in this translation it says sin again, but in other translations it uses the word iniquity. It's a different Hebrew word, and it means a distortion, it means a twisting. And together, this rebellion, this turning away from the path, and this distortion, it presents a, a really comprehensive picture of sin. And the point I want to make is this, that sin isn't just about making the odd mistake. 
Sin is that at the core of our being is an impulse that is self-centered and rebellious and destructive. I really like the way the Christian writer Francis Spufford puts it. He writes this, sin is not just our tendency to lurch and stumble and screw up by accident, it's our active inclination to break stuff. Stuff here including moods, promises, relationships we care about and our own well-being and other people's. We have an inclination to break stuff. And so that's what human beings do. We see that in our world. On a large scale, it leads to inequality and division and war. And on a smaller scale, it leads to broken promises and relationships falling apart. So we harm ourselves and we harm each other. And whether or not we call that sin, we all know, I think, that something is wrong. So imagine for a moment that someone saw the whole of your life. They'd seen everything, not just the stuff that we're happy to let people see, but everything we've ever done, everything we've ever said. And imagine for a moment as well, they've seen every single thought that's ever gone through your head. How would you feel about that? I know how I'd feel. I'd be appalled at that. The idea of someone seeing the real me in that way would be appalling, be horrible to me. I don't think I'd be able to cope with that. It feels unfair, it feels inhumane even. And so we all need cover. We all need cover. So what do we do about it? Well, our instinct is to hide it, it's to cover up. Because we don't like the idea of anyone seeing us as we really, really are. And you know, the cover-up has always been the human response. Right back since the very first people. Because at the the heart of our brokenness is our broken relationship with God. So right back in the garden, Adam and Eve sin. Until this point, they've been walking with God. There's been this intimate relationship with him. But they sin. And for the first time, they experience shame and guilt at their sin. And this is their response. Genesis 3 verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They cover up. And you know, as human beings, we've been covering up ever since in all kinds of ways. And the problem is that cover-up never really works. It's like when you're at home and there's this, this smell, this disturbing smell coming from the drains. And you know that really you need to get in there and sort it out because that's the only thing that's going to sort out this problem. But what you do instead is you just light a scented candle and let that smell kind of infuse the room. It's just cover-up. It's not getting to the root of the problem. Or when you're out driving your car and there's this sound coming from under the bonnet and instead of lifting the bonnet and addressing it, you just turn up the stereo. It's just cover-up. It's not getting to the root of the problem. And cover-up never really works. And the thing is, we can do that with our sin. Let's look back at that passage again, the the passage from Psalm 32. It says, in verse 3, David writes, Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. And then he says, he gives us his own personal story of cover-up. He tells us his own personal experience of cover-up. Now commentators say that this psalm is likely linked with David's adultery with Bathsheba. Do you know the story? So at the time when kings go off to war, David stays in Jerusalem. He's king, but he stays in Jerusalem. And he's walking around on the roof of his palace when he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And he wants her. So he sends for her and he sleeps with this woman. And to make matters worse, he has her husband murdered. See, this is not just a series of mistakes by David. This is intentional 
brutal sin. And by the way, if, you, if you're someone here this morning who thinks that the things that you've done in your life is too much, too bad for God to ever forgive you, then look at this man, David. I mean, God calls this man a man after God's own heart. Look at the things that he did. And here's what cover-up looked like for David. He says, when I kept silent, meaning before I was honest with the Lord about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. His bones wasting away, groaning all day long. He says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Do you know that feeling? Like the, the, the summer we had last year, the heat of it. Great if you're out sunbathing in it or in a paddling pool. But actually try working in it and the heat of it will sap you and take away your energy and you'll feel weak and dry and tired and lacking in life. And David is saying that he knew the reality of his sin and the guilt at what he had done was eating him up from the inside. I wonder, have you ever experienced that kind of shame for something that you've done? Are you stuck in that this morning? If you've never known the forgiveness of God, I want to encourage you that it is available. You can know it. Even this morning, you can know the forgiveness of God. But to get there, we must be prepared to do what David did. And we'll look at what he did in a minute. Or perhaps you're a Christian and you know you're forgiven. But if you're honest, you also know there are things that are going on in your life right now that stop you from living in the freedom of that forgiveness. If that's you, then we need to look again this morning at what David did. So what did David do? Well, verse 5, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. See, step one is to acknowledge that we all need cover. Step two is that to experience freedom, we must uncover our sin to God. We must uncover our sin to God. Here's the truth. The things that we think we're covering are never actually hidden from God. I think we know that. But we were down in Bournemouth in half term um, with my kids. And I was playing this game on the beach with my kids uh, where we were hiding a football in the sand. Now, our older two kids were, were quite good at that to the point where between me and them, we nearly lost this football. But Anna, our youngest daughter, she's three. She wanted to play this game as well. So she'd get us to close our eyes and she'd go off with the football. And we'd kind of play along, covering our eyes. And then after a little while, she'd shout, ready. And we'd look around and she'd be standing there with the ball right there, right next to her feet. Just really, really obvious. And it's a lovely, lovely picture of innocence. But I think we can do that with our sin. We can do that with our sin. We may think we're hiding it from God, but in reality, it's never really hidden. See, in Psalm 139, another of David's Psalms, he writes, You've searched me and you know me. You know my thoughts. And in John's Gospel, John says this about Jesus. He said that he would not entrust himself to these people, for Jesus knew what was in a man. See, he knows our nature. He understands our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows what is in us. And you might say then, well, if nothing is hidden from him, then why do we need to confess? What is it about confession? The answer is, if we're to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has won for us, we need to be honest about who we really are. And that requires unmasked, sometimes painful exposure. See, confession isn't just about saying sorry and moving on. We have to be prepared to go a bit deeper. 
So what is that like? Well, I was reminded of a passage from the book, The Voyage of a Dawn Treader, one of the, one of the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. Now in it, Eustace, this young boy, becomes this big, ugly dragon as a consequence of being selfish, stubborn and greedy. And he's been trying to turn himself back into a boy for some time, but he cannot do it. And so eventually the great lion, Aslan, who represents Jesus, appears to him and leads him to this beautiful well to bathe. But because Eustace is a dragon, he cannot go into this well. So Aslan tells him to take off his skin. And Eustace starts trying to remove all the the scaly layers But he realises as he does that, that there's a hard, really scaly layer on the inside that he cannot remove on his own. And so Aslan says to Eustace, you'll have to let me undress you. To which Eustace replies, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft. And then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. See, if we want to experience the joy of forgiveness, then we must look with God at who we really are. Confession is about uncovering our real selves to God. No avoidance, no accusation, no blame shifting, no excuses. Is that uncomfortable? Yes. Can that be painful? Yes. Does it go against every human inclination to cover up and hide? Yes. But it's the only way to freedom. See, to confess is to agree with God about our sin. Not only that we've sinned, but about the sheer ugliness of our sin. So one day last summer, I was in our garden and it was hot. And I was tired and I was irritable and the kids were really, really winding me up. And I can't remember what it was that they did, but something they said or did really tipped me over the edge. And what I did was I bellowed at them. Not in a helpful way, but in a way that actually scared them and upset them. So I'm confessing here. (laughs) Now immediately after that, I felt a regret at what I'd done. I felt sorry for what I'd done. But I want to let you in onto the really ugly truth of it. The main thought that was going through my mind in that point wasn't, I've really, really hurt my kids here, I've upset my kids. It was, ah, the neighbours will have heard that. Now what are the neighbours going to think of me? See, I was more concerned, if I'm honest with you, in that moment of what the neighbours thought of me than of what I'd done to my kids. And that is ugly. That is ugly. And until we agree with God about the sheer ugliness and repulsiveness of our sin, we'll never ever move away from it. 
See, we'll just see God as someone who just dishes out forgiveness. But God isn't just interested in covering over our sin. He's interested in changing us. You know, that's why confession is so important. That's why confession mustn't just be a one-time thing. See, this is part of our discipleship. As we bring this stuff to Jesus, as we uncover our real self to him, we become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, more like him. This is part of our discipleship. Do you do that? Do you confess openly and honestly to God? Do you uncover yourself before him? And do you do that with at least one other trusted Christian? Now, I'm not going to spend too long on this. I don't think it's the main gist of this psalm. But I think if we really want to leave sin behind, this is really, really important too. That we would find a Christian that we trust and that we'd be completely honest with them. Someone who won't just brush your sin under the carpet but who will stand with you as you confess it for what it is. Someone who you know can see the very, very worst of you and who will still accept you. We need to do this, you know. This is a key part of our discipleship. Mark Buchanan says this, Confession is a first and necessary step back to the garden, back to the place where we can be naked and feel no shame. And you know, God wants us to go there. He wants us to go there. Notice that when David was talking about the time when he was silent about his sin, he wrote, day and night, your hand, Lord, was heavy on me. What does he mean that the Lord's hand was heavy on him? What does it mean that the Lord's hand is heavy on us? Well, it's because he knows what we're like. The Lord knows that our inclination is to break stuff, to do things that will harm ourselves and harm others. And he's not content to let us live in that. See, the hand of the Lord may feel like judgment, but ultimately it is a kindness. Because which sort of father is kinder? Is it the father who stands back and allows his child to keep living in that sin that is harming him? Or is it the father who steps in, wanting so much better for that child? See, God wants your freedom even more than you do. So confession is about uncovering our real selves to God. Not just once, but whenever that hand, that kind hand of the Father is on us. And being honest about the ugliness of our sin. And naming it. And owning it. And bringing it before God. And before another trusted friend with no attempt to cover it up. And when you do, when we come to God like that, here's what happens. When we uncover our sin to him, he covers us. He covers you. Peter Craigie, in his commentary on Psalm 32, says this, Confession is like opening the floodgate of a dam. I read that in the week, and I thought, that's a really, really interesting description. So I watched this video in the week of a dam's floodgate being opened. Do you know what it's like? It's almost like the water has been waiting for this opportunity to pour out. You see the energy of the water, the power of it. You see the surge. And it's like it's been searching for this smallest gap in the wall to be able to pour through. And now with just the tiniest opportunity, it does it with vigour and with joy and with life. And when that water pours, there is no holding it back. And I believe that God wants us to know this this morning, that, that he is looking for an opportunity to bring us freedom. He wants our freedom more than we do. And actually, so when we come to God in this way, this is what happens. We experience the flood of his forgiveness. The Lord is not just not against us, he is for us. And he loves to bring us freedom. 
You know, throughout scripture, this is how he reveals himself. This is what he says in, in Exodus 34 to Moses. He comes and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You know, he delights in forgiving you. He is gracious. He abounds in love. And so when you uncover yourself before God, you don't need to fear how he will respond to you. It says this right at the end of Psalm 32. I really like the way David writes this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. What he's saying is this. He's saying that a mule is stubborn. So it doesn't come because it loves you. It, come, it comes because you, you put this, this bridle on its head and this bit in its mouth and you pull it to you. He's saying don't be like that with confession. He's saying you know, you have understanding of the goodness and the kindness of God. You know what he's like. So don't hold back. Don't wait. Don't stand off from him. Come to him willingly. And as we do, the water of his forgiveness pours over the dryness of our bones and purifies us. It says this in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And you might say, but hang on a minute. If God is truly just, how can he do this? How can he accept us? How can he cover us knowing all that we've done? And the answer is, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. See, how did Jesus die? Jesus wasn't killed in private, away from people. Jesus was crucified. And it's a shameful way to die. And if one of our great fears is about being fully exposed, then has there ever been in all of human history a more exposing way to die than crucifixion? Think of it for a moment. You're stripped naked. You're uncovered and exposed and then you are raised up on a cross and everyone is looking at you. And there's no hiding place. See, Jesus was uncovered so that we could be covered. How can we, human beings who break stuff, who wander away from the path, who rebel, who distort and twist, how can we be forgiven and made righteous before a just God? It's only because of Jesus. It's only because exposed on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, our sin cost Jesus his life. You know, there's a marked difference between the, way we, between the way we try and cover up our sin and the way God perfectly covers us. See, ours is just about cover up. But when we bring it to God, it is paid for. It is dealt with at the cross. It's dealt with by him. You know, David writes... You are my hiding place, God. You'll protect me from trouble. Surround me with songs of deliverance. But that's even before the cross. That's even before God has sent his son. How much more can we say, Jesus, you are my hiding place? See, our sin is gone. It is paid for. It is hidden in him. So if you're a Christian this morning, hear this. You are forgiven. Your, son, your, sorry, your sins are gone and you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And now the hand that weighs heavy on you when you sin is the hand of one who's been crucified. A hand that bears the scars of crucifixion. And now the ongoing confession of your sin is about living in the freedom of that forgiveness. So I want to ask you this morning, just to end, are you living in that freedom? Are you living in that freedom right now? David's life, like yours and mine, was a portrait of successes and failures. 
some highs and some, some lows. And yet David was able to move from a place of bones wasting away and strength sapped to a place of singing. How? Because he knew that the destruction he had caused would not be counted against him. He stopped covering up his sin, he uncovered it to God, and God covered him. And now, because of Jesus, we can know the freedom of being forgiven and covered in his righteousness. And that is what it means to be truly, truly happy. So in this lead up to Easter, and this morning, let's be prepared to examine ourselves. Let's not cover up our sin. Let's uncover it to our gracious, gracious Father. Let's do that honestly. Let's do it regularly, recognising the ugliness of our sin. So we can experience the true, deep happiness of being perfectly covered by him. Amen? Amen. Amen.